This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn. First up today, we are looking at the fallout from the Women's March that was held last Sunday and why people are calling for the repeal of the Peaceful Assembly Act. So in case you missed it, last Sunday, a Women's March was held in conjunction with International Women's Day. It was organised by Women's March Malaysia 2023, which in turn comprised several volunteer groups. It took place in front of the Sogo Complex and Dataran Medina. And the Women's March had nine demands. So firstly, the protection of bodily autonomy. Secondly, the banning of child marriages. Thirdly, the elimination of violence against oppressed genders and sexual minorities. Fourth, enhanced protection systems. Five, more safe public spaces for oppressed genders. Six, constitutional and legislative reforms for gender equality. Seven, equal equal political participation of oppressed genders at all levels of governance. Uh, Eight, the ensurement of decent work standards and living wages. And nine, the declaration of a climate crisis together with an action plan. So following on from the Assembly, several people were summoned for questioning on Monday. Dang Wangyi District Police Chief ACP Nor- Nordelhan Yahya said that the rally did not follow the provisions of the law and therefore investigations would be carried out under the Peaceful Assembly Act, more on that later, and the Minor Offences Act. There have been a number of re- responses and reactions to this, um, starting out with, uh, well, a clip that we're going to play for you because on Monday, we reached out to Sumitra Viswanathan, Executive Director of Women's Aid Organisation, for, well, we asked her for a reaction to the Cabinet's 100 days in office, but she recorded a voice note for us at the police station where she had gone to give her support to the people who had been called in for questioning and this is what she had to say. This is Sumitra Viswanathan, Executive Director of Women's Aid Organisation. Today I am standing outside Dangwangi Police Station because 10 women who helped organise or gave speeches at the Women's March yesterday have been called in for questioning by the police. So rather than have a comment on how specific and individual ministries are faring in this first 100 days, I want to ask a question to all of government. What is your commitment to freedom of expression and democratic rights, the constitutional right to voice and opinion? What is your position on that? Because where I am right now to see women who have been called in for questioning because they stand up and call for gender equality, for equality and an end to discrimination. Those women are right now being questioned by the police. My question is to the Prime Minister, what is your position on freedom of expression for all in Malaysia? Thank you. That was Sumitra Viswanathan, Executive Director of Women's Aid Organisation. And in relation to the reactions around the Women's March, uh, Sumitra isn't alone in in asking questions because the organising committee of the Women's March um, has also condemned the actions taken by the police towards participants, speakers, organisers and observers, saying that this marked a troubling precedent against democratic action under the newly elected unity government. And in relation to all of this, or perhaps in response to all of this, a rights group has called for the repeal of the Peaceful Assembly Act 2012, which is one of the acts that the police said that they are investigating people under. Um, Malaysians Against 
death penalty and torture, described the act as draconian, saying it deters the real right to assemble peacefully. Its spokesman, Charles Hector, said it made no sense for the police to play the role of permission giver for the exercise of the fundamental right to assemble, also saying that the requirement of a five-day notice to the police before an assembly can be held was onerous and prevented the immediate right to peacefully assemble. And that's where it stands. So they're calling for that repeal. We're going to be taking a closer look at the the Peaceful Assembly Act. And I think more broadly, just having a conversation about about the Women's March and the issues that have been thrown up that sadly um, have very little to do with their actual demands, which seem to me incredibly reasonable. But the news cycle has has moved on to talking about different things, which is unfortunate. Um, so anyways, what is your take on the Women's March and the reactions that it has received? And do you think that the Peaceful Assembly Act does need to be repealed or amended? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we're going to be speaking with Tiara Katrina Fuad, criminal lawyer. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Banish feudal mentality. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.13 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn. We're talking today about the uh, the fallouts, the conversations that have resulted from the Women's March and the investigations that followed it, as well as why, in relation to that, people are calling for the repeal of the Peaceful Assembly Act. So we're asking you as well, what is your take on the Women's March and the reactions that it has received? And do you think the Peaceful Assembly Act needs to be repealed or amended? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Speaking with us now is criminal lawyer Tiara Katrina Fuad. Tiara, thanks for speaking with us today. Glad to be here, Lynn. Thanks for the invitation. So on Monday, the police summoned several people for questioning on the Women's March that was held the day before that. What do we know about the precise reasons for these summons? If we look at um, what's been reported by the media in the news, not much actually, because the statements by the police so far say that the investigations are being conducted um, in relation to offenses under the Peaceful Assembly Act and the Minor Offenses Act. Um, if we focus, so they, there's not a specific identification of which provision in the Peaceful Assembly Act that they're um, um, investigating into, but given the structure of the act, we can deduce given that there are very few that attract penal consequences, that it would either be in relation to the requirement of notification to the police or in relation to non-compliance with any kind of restrictions imposed by the police. But, but as I said, that's not based on any kind of official statement. It's just a um, deduction based on the, the little bit of information that they've released. Mm. And following on from that, a rights group has called for the repeal of the Peaceful Assembly Act 2012. Before we get into into the repeal, can you give us a brief refresher of what the act itself entails? Sure. So the act seeks to regulate the exercise of freedom of expression and speech in this country. Um, And it does that in, um, in a few ways. And I'll just highlight the the four important provisions. The first 
is that it imposes a requirement on the organizers of any assembly to, to provide to the, to the head of the police district a notification um, regarding any purported assembly that's going to be had five days before it's going to be had. Um, and the failure to comply with that requirement for notice attracts penal consequences, specifically a 10,000 ringgit fine. Second, the act also imposes upon um, organizers and participants of um, uh, an assembly, which in the first place is very, very widely defined, um, certain duties and responsibilities when it comes to um, the conduct of the assembly, where it's held and things like that. And then lastly, it also provides, um, I, mean, I mean, it provides for a lot of things, but these are the four main things. It, provide, it, it has a provision which permits the police to provide restrictions on the assembly, which relate to, for example, the date on which it's going to be held, the place, the manner, the conduct, and, and other kinds of, of restrictions which purportedly relate to, the, relate to public order. So, so that's mainly the structure of the Peaceful Assembly Act, which is to, to regulate assemblies held in this country. And within that, um, there have been issues pointed out by several civil society groups, uh, one of which involves the police's role uh, of permission giver, quote unquote, as well as that five day notice requirement that you were mentioning. How do these provisions potentially deter people's rights to assemble peacefully? Um, so I think to answer that question, um, uh, it's useful to make a comparison. Before we had the Peaceful Assembly Act, we had the Police Act. And in, in, in the Police Act, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, Section 26 or 27, under that act, it was more direct. You needed to obtain permission from the police before you were able to organize any kind of assembly. That was repealed, and then they introduced the Peaceful Assembly Act. Now, so... Via the Peaceful Assembly Act, it doesn't explicitly state that you require permission from the police in order to organize an assembly. It's, as we've already pointed out, you just have to give them notice. So that's an important distinction because you mentioned that they're permission giver. Not exactly because they were more a permission giver under the Police Act, which has been repealed. But the requirement of the notice to answer the second part of your question nevertheless still deters to a certain extent, albeit indirectly, the right to peaceful assembly because consider situations in which an event happens uh, that warrants some kind of protest or things like that on an immediate basis. Let's say someone was was murdered today or or there, there was some kind of abuse and, and there's a kind of urgency or someone's about to be deported. Um, for something that civil society feels is unjust. In those kinds of cases, there may be a sense of urgency to hold a, a, an assembly, a peaceful as assembly as, as soon as possible. And in those kinds of circumstances, it may not be practicable to comply with the five-day notice. Yet the failure to comply with that five-day notice attracts penal consequences, like I said. So it's in that indirect way that that requirement affects the right to peaceful assembly in those particular circumstances where you require urgent and immediate protests for an event that, that 
you cannot afford to give a five-day notice. And that somewhat lines up with the fact that the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Assembly and Association does say that notice periods should not be longer than 48 hours and that notice should only be required for large or disruptive assemblies. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, by and large, I would agree with that. Um, I think the the bigger point I would make is not so much the requirement of the notice, um, which, yes, it should be as short as possible, that that's ideal. But I think the more important point is that is the failure of that notice supposed or should it attract penal consequences? So I'll give an example. In the UK, um, they have very similar laws. If I'm not mistaken, it's also a 48-hour notice. But the failure to comply with that notice um, doesn't attract penal consequences. So there, there's that balance there. It provides guidelines into what should be done, which would permit, for example, the police to make um, um, to, to, to make arrangements to ensure that it's peaceful and, and direct traffic and whatever. I think there's some benefit to that. But the failure to comply with that in the UK, um, for the last that I read, didn't attract criminal liability. And I think that's what we should be pushing for. One is sure to, to shorten the period of notice, but two also that the failure to comply with that notice is not a criminal act. Let's talk about those repercussions uh, and consequences. What exactly do people face if they are found to be in violation? Um, in relation to the duties of the organizers and the participants to ensure that no offenses are committed and things like that, that's not specified. So that's not criminal if you if you read it literally in the act. What is made criminal explicitly is non-compliance to provide the notice and non-compliance with any restrictions imposed by the police. And for both of those, if you're convicted, um, it's a maximum fine of up to 10,000 ringgit. You said earlier, uh, I believe, that how, how participants, observers, organisers are defined is a little bit broad. Could you expand on that? It, the assemblies are, are the, what constitutes an assembly ah, right. is very wide. wide. Um, it's defined, hold on, let me just, yeah, so it's def, an assembly is defined under the Act as meaning an intentional and temporary assembly of a number of persons, it doesn't even specify the number of persons, of a number of persons in a public place, whether or not the assembly is at a particular place or moving. Now, if you really look into that definition, it includes so many things. For example, uh, Lynn, right now you may be in the office with two or three people, mm. right? That's technically within the definition of an assembly. Um, you know, you work in an office environment. You work in, there are so many, for example, you you go to to a restaurant and you eat food. That's technically because of this very, very wide definition, an assembly. Ensure the way that the act counteracts that is by stating, well, the the matters listed in, in the schedule, in one of the schedule, the third schedule, doesn't require notice. So they've specified, for example, um, religious affairs, funerals, family gatherings. That's that's all fine, right? But I think the point that we have to make is that there are so many other categories of of gatherings that are not exempted within the third schedule, but falls within the definition of an assembly, which would then technically require notification, but that doesn't make sense. For example, look at an office environment. So, so when whenever you have an act that's, that defines 
um, words that, that attract criminal liability like that so widely requires it, that there's a need to, to review those definitions. And if we talk about how that sits uh, next to other laws that we have, Article 10 of the Malaysian Federal Constitution says that every citizen has the right to freedom of speech and expression. All citizens have the right to assemble peaceably and without arms. Can you talk to us about what this would extend to? So one thing that we have to to recognize, I mean, mean, there are various categories of rights. You have absolute rights, limited rights, and things like that. So freedom of expression under Article 10 is not an absolute right. I think that's where the difficulty mainly lies. It's, It's a right that exists, but can legally be limited by the government in certain circumstances, which is explicitly provided for in the federal constitution. There are reasonable restrictions which may be placed upon your right to freedom of expression. Um, but notwithstanding that, what we, we I think, have to, to really recognize is that, that before we talk about the limitations, we have to recognize that, that it exists. And it exists for in order to enable people uh, to, to exercise, or let me put it this way, I think in any democracy, one of the cornerstones of a democracy is the right to freedom of expression, because in order for you to meaningfully be able to exercise any of your rights as a a citizen, it must entail um, the right to be able to access information so you know who to vote for, the kind of policies that will affect you that, that are right for you, and the right to critically examine those policies. So so I would argue that even though that right is not absolute, it must include the the freedom to be able to criticize policies, even if we don't agree with it, that that affect that affect our life and our, our, our livelihoods. So so there's this very famous quote, right? I may not agree with what you say, but I'll defend until my death your right to say it. And I think that's subject to the exception that you cannot, for example, incite hatred or incite violence. Um, it should be read as wide as, as, as possible. So if we, we take a step back and we look at the Women's March, its reactions, um, you know, all of which have informed our conversation today, what precedence does this chain of events have on our democratic rights, our freedom of expression? I think at the end of the day, if, if you're claiming that that citizens of this country have the freedom to exercise certain rights, then that must mean they they, they must be able to exercise that right meaningfully without the threat of of executive or in in action from the enforcement agencies for for things that's protected under the federal constitution. So so the, the dangerous precedent that it sets is that it may create a fear um, in the mind and in the hearts of the public, that that even if you may want to exercise your your right as protected by the federal constitution, be prepared to face serious consequences. Even if it's not a criminal charge, we we, we shouldn't take for granted the fact that that having to go to a police station and justify A, B, C, and D, and being given notice for uh, the, the failure to comply. With which results in penal, all of that, all of that, should be viewed as some kind of it should be viewed as a form of a restriction, and, and and if that restriction is unjustifiable in the sense that there was no breach of any kind of uh, of any kind of 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 um, the the restriction upon those rights, then then 
then there, there's no point in that. There, there, not only is there no point in that, it threatens the continued exercise of that right under Article 10. Tiara, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me, Lynn. Bye. That was criminal lawyer Tiara Katrina Fuad weighing in on the weighing in on the laws uh, that we have in our country that should allow for freedom of expression, um, but that also dictate our right to peacefully assemble. Uh, And this is coming as a rights group has called for the repeal of the Peaceful Assembly Act 2012 in relation to the Women's March that took place over the weekend. Let us know, um, what's your take on the Women's March and the reactions it's received? Do you think the Peaceful Assembly Act needs to be repealed or amended? That number to call is 7733-2900. You can send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at you have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.